If you can't be in the field chasing gun dogs, the next best thing is talking about it. Join Wade and Thomas as we discover the people, the places, and the birds, and of course, the gun dogs that make upland hunting our passion. This is the Setter Tales Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Setter Tales Podcast, episode 52. As you can see, we've got some company in the in the studio tonight, and uh, what some cute dogs. I got Merle here. And we and got Reba. That's Reba. And this is from Thomas's litter that we've been talking about all summer and into the fall. And so these uh, these guys will be uh, maybe not so much this season, but, boy, next year they ought to be uh, going going pretty strong. We'll be, we'll be ready there. Uh, we've taken them on some puppy walks and, and it did a little bit of bird introduction. And uh, Merle's kind of like, yeah, I'm just a cool dude most of the time. And Reba here is – is our spitfire she's she grabs a bird and runs she looks and, like it she's got that right look now to her. she's she's camera shy she's uh they probably uh the hour hour and 45 minute drive down here i'm sure they were hooting and hollering the whole time in the dog box wanting out and so but uh yeah we just i thought you know well, let's bring them down yeah. and introduce them to the world and then uh we can kind of update you know as we go on as they yeah. go older so well i think i think it's kind of uh interesting that what we're talking about tonight we've got mike mapes on tonight from second chance bird dogs and so what happens is i think this is a perfect kind of segue into his interview because you know when puppies look like this everybody wants one everybody thinks they can raise a gun dog or a puppy and then you find out that there's a little more to it than uh, just having fun and uh and playing with with dogs there's a little more to the whole thing and so uh, we're going to get in with, uh, talk to Mike here quickly. And we'll get the, Come here, Merle. There we go. Fun stuff. Thanks, Vanna. Yeah, <laughs> fun stuff. And so Mike, uh, Mike Mapes with Second Chance Bird Dogs up in Michigan. Mike, thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. Well, you know, we want to talk about what you, uh, some of the great work you're doing up there and talk about grouse hunting and some other things that you do as well. And I know, uh, you're doing some guiding, but, um, you know, we, um, we always hear some stories about some dogs maybe that, um, uh, didn't quite turn out or didn't get the opportunity that they, they should have get, gotten. And so tell, tell us a little bit about how you started your, uh, your organization and what you guys do up there. Yeah. So way back in the day, I, five years ago, it seems like, just yesterday, but um, we, I'd gotten not necessarily out of bird hunting for a while, but I lived in a small town in a small house and me and my wife got married, long story short, moved back to our house in the country, our dream house. And I said, I'm gonna get a bird dog. And I would had bird dogs my whole life, ever since I can remember, you know, grouse hunting with labs or we had a German short hair growing up. And uh, we moved to the country and I'm getting a bird dog. My wife kind of looks at me weird. And I said, no, I'm getting my bird dog again, you know. And I remember I was on Facebook one day and I seen a Facebook post. Somebody said that they had a DK that they need to rehome because he was aggressive and wanted to fight with one of the other dogs they had. Just so turns out I knew this person from somebody. Went to look at the dog. His name was Nitro. Took him home that same night. And so Nitro was really my first rescue, you could say, five years ago. Um, fast forward a year, and, you know, I've been hunting with this dog. I've been guiding with this dog. 
phenomenal dog and everybody knows me as the guy that got this dog from somebody who knows where the dog's from and this guy's got this amazing dog and you know everybody thinks their dog's the best but anyway um this lady contacted me through facebook and she said i've got a bird dog that i can't control and i wondered if you could take him for me and or if you were interested in having him i had thought yeah I'd, I'd like to have two dogs so i went and met timber now timber was one of those dogs i think he was a year and a half when i first met him met him in a pet as a petco parking lot i think and he wouldn't look at me wouldn't look anywhere but up in the sky over at the trees and just bouncing off the walls nonstop. So I took this crazy dog home, started looking at his papers and realized that he had six owners before me. And I started to realize just how crazy this dog was, right? And I trained him, amazing hunter. He's actually my, my main grouse dog and got this idea that, hey, I wonder how many more of these dogs are there out there like Timber, like Nitro. Slowly started looking into this and getting one dog at a time, training them, finding them a home. And then I think it was 2021, I, I had a dog named, oh, geez, I can't remember all the names now, right? It gets um, difficult. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a white dog, Hunter. His name was Hunter. White dog, white short hair with liver patches. And I couldn't, I was having a hard time finding them a home. So I got on Facebook and I thought, I'm going to create this group so I can find these dogs at home. So I get on Facebook, woke up one morning, said second chance bird dogs, wrote it down, made a Facebook group, put some pictures on there. And it never dawned on me in a million years that people would actually message me with more dogs they wanted me to take, right? Yeah. I made this Facebook group so I could find these dogs homes and get these dogs out there. And here the first week, I have a guy message me from Indiana with two wire hairs. And I'm like, okay. I guess this is going to go the opposite way that I thought it would go. You got more and, coming in than going out. Right. Yeah. So slowly and slowly, but surely, um, I think it was Buck. I got Buck in February and he was a big short hair. And I, I met this guy that I knew was really not the greatest dog owner and he was breeding dogs. And I met him in Lansing and I paid $675 for a dog. I couldn't even touch that smelled like he'd been sleeping in his own poop and pee for months, you know? And felt bad for the dog, got home, and I made a live video that night. I woke up the next morning to over 2,000 people had joined the group just because of that video. And from there, it's just exploded, right? And so I think this – I go ahead. Yeah if, yeah, if you don't mind, let's drill down a little bit on – I know when you get a dog, any dog, but specifically some of them that you know have gone through five or six owners before right. you get to put your hands on them, What what is – I guess, what is your mindset and what is your strategy to do, to approach with that dog? I mean, there's, there's, every one of them is different. I understand that, you know, but right. typically what is your process when you get a new dog that's coming into your, your kennel? Yeah. Well, the one thing that I have going for me more than nine times out of 10 is the fact that most of the dogs I get have never hunted. They've never, the owners, previous owners are not hunters. They've never thought about hunting never wanted to hunt. So I have that for what I'm doing in the process and where I'm trying to go with these dogs. That's a good thing for me, right? Because nobody screwed up the training up until that point. I mean, the biggest thing I typically have to worry about is an e-collar or electric fence that people have around their perimeter fence right. around the property. The first time I bring a dog out in the field and put an e-collar on him, he kind of looks at me and sits down 
right? Because he doesn't know where to go. But they've never been introduced to birds. They've never been introduced to gunfire. Um, pretty much every dog I get goes through that same puppy program that you guys are going to take those puppies through that you just had in your laps, right? Even though, even though it's a two, three, four-year-old dog, I bring them right back to basics. Let's chase birds. Let's have fun. And then I kind of step it up from there. And, and the, like you said, every dog's different. So every training program, I try to stay on the same track, but we veer off it quite a bit for, for different dogs and different breeds. I saw, I saw one of your videos where you, you had a, a new dog or a dog you hadn't had very long. And I mean, you couldn't even get the dog to come out of the kennel. I mean, you could tell the dog right. was, was just, you know, afraid, was, was a, you know, just didn't know who it could trust, obviously. It yeah. looked like that dog had some trust issues, and that dog is in that kennel, and I know you were trying to, you know, to, to work through that whole process, and I I, I noticed the, the patience that you had of just having the door open to the, the kennel run and just yeah. sitting there, talking to the dog, you know, being patient, let the dog understand and kind of get used to me and used to my smell. And so, I mean, it, it, you got a lot of time and effort and, uh, uh, involved. And then when you have multiple dogs, it just looks like, wow, you know, what a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been a big, a big commitment, which is why, you know, we talked two weeks ago, I quit my full-time job as a tool and die maker and doing bird dogs full-time because, yeah, now I'm waking up in the morning. I'm putting a certain set of dogs. I have three or four dogs right now that I'm putting on birds every day, working on woe training, working on this, working on that. And then I have those dogs like that. I have a poodle pointer right now that was never socialized. He's a COVID dog and never met anybody new. And he's the same way. You know, I open that kennel door and he sits there and looks at me where every other dog is busting out the door, right? He's sitting there looking at me like, I don't want to go out there. It's scary. So I have tons of different dogs on different levels of training. So every day I'm going through, you know, morning sessions, afternoon sessions, night sessions, every dog's different. I have usually, usually have two to three sets of dogs. I'm doing different things with at the time. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know, you probably get when these dogs haven't ever done anything, but be in the house or be in a crate and, and, you know, like we, we talked earlier before the show is, they're cute when they're little and then these dogs people aren't are you getting them from just regular everyday people or are you getting from people that may think they want to hunt and then they get a hunting dog and they're like well i don't have time is there like a mixture of that or you would predominantly a big, say they bought it because it was a cute puppy there's a mixture of each um i would say as far as that goes it's a half and half you know we call it a second chance bird dog rescue Uniquely enough, a lot of the dogs I get, I might have one or two real rescues in the kennel at a time. I have an English pointer right now that I saved from being euthanized down in New Mexico um, that we picked up and brought up here. But then I have another dog who came from an extremely good home that came with all of his vet records, all of his papers. They brought two or three different beds of them, two or three bags of food, all of his heartworm medicine. I mean, he came with a car full of stuff for him, you know, so I have one extreme to the next. Um, but the majority of the dogs that I get are people that got this puppy cause he's cute and he's cuddly and they always wanted one and wire hairs are a big, they're a big, uh, part of that. Everybody wants a wire hair cause they're just the cutest puppies in the world. And I usually get them when they're about a year or two, year and a half old, 
when they start killing things in the yard and you know stuff like that um the fedex guy and biting that's a big one i have a lot of i get a lot of bite case dogs yep and and you know we talk you know these breeds you know especially the hunting breeds they have to have that stimulation of getting out and and hunting and and being able to run and and you know everything that's bred into them it's just not like you're going to the pet store and picking out a poodle you know they're bred to be a house dog you know people are buying you know english pointers and and setters and short hairs and whatever breed you can think of and they're just seeing that cute puppy factor and oh that's a cool looking dog or they walk watch the the dog show every thanksgiving on and on tv like god i want one of them then yeah people don't you know my thoughts are and maybe yours are different but do you think people don't do enough research and look back at these dogs they just say oh it's cute i'm gonna get it you know you think that would help obviously you've made a living of it and 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 done this but you know what are your thoughts are you think they're just doing it because they're cute and they're not doing their research i lately i've really been diving into this and the wire hair community is kind of split 50 50 with me right now because i've given wire hairs a lot of crap this year um but truth be told they're my favorite breed i mean if you told me mike pick one dog to hunt with the rest of your life it'd be a drotar right but they're not for everybody and what i've tried to do is you know there's a lot of people out there that have wire hairs that don't hunt and they're great pets but where did you get that dog from so i i released something a while ago an article i wrote and i I was basically telling people, you know, we've got the the true German dogs. And I believe at the time I had a, a Drotar in the in the kennel here that was 93 pounds, huge dog, who was at my kennel because he attacked another dog and tried to kill the goats on the farm. And then I had another wire hair here who I would let my kids sleep with in bed because he's just, he was smaller, he was cute, he was soft, and he was calm. And I tell people, you know, when you go to pick out a puppy, if you're not going to be a hunter and you want something like a wire hair, breeding is everything. You can't just go to any breeder and say, I want a wire hair. You need to find somebody that breeds those dogs for family first, hunting second, because there's a lot of them that are all hunt. And then it comes to the family and being cuddly, sitting down on the couch. They're not really made for that. Right. So I try to, with the Facebook group, I try to, uh, inform people as much as I can about what to look for when you go to a breeder and you know how to pick that puppy and make sure you find you know a German short hair with an off switch is what we call it um, find a dog that can be a good family dog not just a hunting dog and I think the people a lot of times we put our blinders up right because the puppy's cute and we want that dog and yeah we pay the price a year and a half later when we realize that we don't hunt and that's all that dog wants to do yeah, it's a big energy factor, you know, yeah. when, when picking uh, the proper mate for the puppies we had here tonight for my female. I mean, I did a lot of research, and, and when people call me to, to purchase a puppy, they're like, well, what can we expect? Mom's got an off switch. She can be a house dog. She can ride yeah. in the front seat of the pickup when I run to town or something, and you don't have to worry about her. But Dad, he's a big running horseback dog, and yeah. – and, he's bred to run and he's not a house dog and, and they have, you know, they have to know that. And do you think, do you see irresponsibility with breeders in that, in that, so to speak, you know, they, 
you know, a lot of guys, you know, you see Christmas puppies, Christmas puppies, and everybody wants to go out and buy their Christmas puppies. And people, yep. you, know, you look at Facebook groups. Oh, I want to have a pheasant dog, but I duck hunt once in a while. And, you know, the wire hair. Everybody's saying wire hair, yeah. wire hair. So everybody's buying them. Or poodle pointer. You know, there's a yep. whole different animal there, too. <laughs> yep. I got two of those right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the... I want to be careful when I say irresponsibly, irresponsible breeders, but the responsible breeders know who you are and you know, I'm not talking to you. And I, I know that all the time. Cause I, I speak to many of them and they thank me for what I do. Um, I've got a wire here right now that a lady called me and she said, I went to get a puppy. And when I showed up, they had two left and the breeder looked at me and said, you can have a two for one deal. And they sold them two puppies for the price of one. And they're two 80 pound wire hairs and a year and a half later, I've got a 90 pound lady calling me because she's got litter mate syndrome going on and she's trying to pull two 90 pound wire hairs apart from killing each other. So irresponsible breeder there. Yes. And to add on top of that, the one that she brought me was mixed with short hair. So their wire hair breeding was mixed with the short hair. So I get a lot of irresponsible breeders. I would say any dog that I get at second chance bird dog that a breeder knows is coming here that's an irresponsible breeder. Um, I've had several breeders call me ahead of time and say, hey, Mike, somebody's gonna be contacting you because they have one of my puppies and I don't have room right now. Could you take on this dog for me? And please let me know how it does. And if you have any expenses, let me know, I'll cover them. Good breeder, right? Um, but a lot of, I get a lot of breeders that don't care. And I tell everybody that sends a dog to me, talk to your breeder first. And I want a copy of what he says back to you so I have that for my record. And I have a stack of probably 100 breeders right now that have said, nope, you can give the dog to him. I don't want him back. So, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of breeding. Breeding goes into it big time. And the people breeding the dogs go into it. What's, uh, and I think for our listeners and, and myself included, I'd like to, what are some of your success stories? Can you talk about some of the dogs that you've had and, and how they're doing now? And, you know, some of those I, th I know from talking to you before, Mike, uh, some of those are really doing some great things in the field and in families. So could yeah. we, uh, what, are, what's, what are some of your, I guess, what are some of your prouder recruits that you've had that have uh, gone on to be successful gun dogs? Yeah, the, the one that's fresh in my mind because I just seen him yesterday, um, Buck, one of the first dogs I got. Um, He's a German short hair. I got him and he was, I think Buck was just about a year old when I got him. And he's the dog that I, I made the live video on who sat in the back of the kennel in the back of the truck, wouldn't come out of the truck. Every time I tried to grab him, he'd go to bite me. Um, I ended up after about four hours taking the kennel out of the truck and tipping it upside down, him falling out with the garage doors closed and he ran away from me. I think it was two days before I could finally get my hands on him and touch him. And the first time I walked him outside, I could see him looking around like, you know, this is all new to me. Um, I had him for about a month, started putting him on birds, started having fun with him and realizing that he needed, he needed more than to be trained for be a bird dog right now. You know, you, you can just tell the dog needs more than that. And that bird training can come later. Let's get a family and let's get established here. Uh, about the same time I figured that out in my head, I had an older couple call me, tell me they were looking for a, a short hair at a rescue and they couldn't get approved from any rescue because they didn't have a fenced in backyard. They were gonna use an e-collar. There were all these things that other shelters wouldn't approve them for. 
And I said, yeah, come to the house. I got a dog I want you to meet. So this older couple came to the house, met Buck and took him home that same day. A month later, we found out he had heartworm. So we had to treat that. Uh, we raised the money and had that treated, had that cured. And long story short, I met Buck and Brian's his name, his owner. I met them at the pheasant release program here in Michigan, about 20 minutes away from my house. I met him yesterday for a hunt. And to watch that dog from, you know, two years ago till now, you know, watch him hunt pheasants yesterday. And it, it killed me because he went on point at one time and I walked in, there was a big autumn olive bush walked in there and he kind of ran away and I thought, ah, the bird, bird's gone. And I didn't follow him. I should have, I know better, you know, trust the dog. And he goes barreling over about 50 yards to my left. And next thing I know, I hear a rooster cackle and it flies away and he's just standing there watching it. And he looks over at me like, where were you at? You know, but that's a, that's a dog that when I first got him, you'd never think would amount to really any type of pet or hunting dog. And this guy drives in the passenger seat of the truck with the guy every day. He meets new family members all the time. He lives in the inside of the house. He's a true gentleman's dog. And that's a huge success story for us. Everybody loves that dog. Um, I think everybody on the Facebook group knows who that dog is and has followed that dog from day one. Um, I had a gun shy wire hair one time that was getting aggressive in his home. And so I get this dog that's not only gun shy, but he's aggressive. Well, that's two pretty bad things for a bird dog, right? Um, the aggressiveness I kind of chalked up to, he just needs to hit a reset. So we reset that and did some training and then just put him on birds, 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 and more birds. And I had him for about eh, 45 to 50 days. And I shot my first pheasant over him. And he's actually guiding now with me. My friend runs him at one of the clubs that we guide at. And he went from gun shy to five or six guys unloading their shotguns over top of him at a pheasant club, you know, wow. um, now, really, I have a lot of, a lot of good success stories. So you, you mentioned a word and for our viewers to, to hear this. And I think it's important for anybody that's got a bird dog, you implement fun. Yep. A lot. Yeah. And every day explain that to, to people. Cause you know, you see people there that have, trained dogs and they're just constantly barking they're constantly giving commands it's just never ending either when you're yeah. in the house you're outside working the dog or even hunting explain that fun aspect of what you're saying and uh how that's successful yeah i i kind of chalk that up to just my personality of how i established that and then i think i established it then really found out it was a thing right so growing up, you know, we would play football and my buddies would be foaming at the mouth and mad and ready to rip each other's face off. And I was always the guy in the end that was like, it's just a game, guys. Let's have fun. Right. And I'm the exact same way when it comes to training bird dogs. I don't care if it takes 10 birds or 500 birds. The dog's going to point. It's in his blood. Take him hunting. Have fun. And I do that with all my training everybody that brings a dog to me for board and train loves it because their dog, when they come to pick them up, doesn't want to leave nine times out of 10, they come to pick up their dog. Their dog runs right past them to the pigeon coop and comes up and runs and jumps on me and wants to go chase birds. And they're like, why it must be fun here. It's yeah, it's fun here. And I think a lot of people have lost that in the bird dog world and everybody's gotten so serious and so dead set on let's find a bird. Let's kill it. Everybody's forgot to just 
go with it and have fun. And that's a big part of training with dogs. I think that's a, a big part of having, I say a happy dog, but really it's true. I mean, I want a dog that wants to be out there having fun. I don't want a dog that's doing it because it's his job. I want a dog that's doing it because it's fun for him and he enjoys doing it with me as much as I enjoy doing it with him. Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's the answer I was hoping you were going to give. Because, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you see it in, when you get a dog that just turns into a robot, they don't, and then they make the, when they make a mistake, it's even worse. It seems yeah. if you know that dogs out there having fun, being carefree and doing what their brains telling them to do as far as instinct and all that, it's way yeah. more fun to go hunting with them than a dog that's looking over his shoulder all the time wondering, okay, worried. Yeah. This right. Am I doing this wrong? You know, yeah. let, let nature do its, do its job. And, and, and as long as there's a handle on that dog, they're going to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, today I had somebody ask me, I was guiding up at a club up North and I had somebody ask me if I force fetched my lab. And I said, no, I said, it's not that I don't believe in force fetch. It's not that I'm not for it. I said, I just don't, I don't like it myself. I don't do it myself. And he says, oh, well, he retrieves really good. And I said, yeah, he just started about three weeks ago and my lab's about 14 months old. So I've, I've been guiding with him ever since he was six months old. So from six months until right now, 14 months, he has ran to the bird and stood over top of the bird. And I have happily walked over there and grabbed the bird, tell him good boy and put it, in my, put it in my bird bag. And most people look at that and they're yelling at me, Mike, you need to get that dog to fetch. And I've, I've smiled at all of them the last eight months and said, he'll do it when he's ready. And three weeks ago, they shot a bird over him as 117 yards away. He was on his back legs like this. And he turned and looked at me and I said, get it. And he ran to it, grabbed the bird, brought it right to my feet and dropped it and looked at me like I did it, dad. And he has picked up every bird since then and brought it right to my feet. And that, it's just, it's, we're having fun. It's just natural for him. So one of the, um, so obviously you've had, you've had some successes and that just obviously drives you to do it again. So even some of these real problem dogs, you're looking at Buck and some other dogs going, well, I remember what they were like, so this is a challenge, but I, I can see the finish line. I can see what this dog yeah. can, can be. Uh, and, but, uh, and I know your success and, and people hearing about you has, has made more of a demand. Now people know about you. <laughs> yeah. You're getting more interest. And I know you've had to expand your operation. We talked about that a little bit on the phone. So, yeah. so what, how, what was that all about and what decision – what went into the decision-making about you wanting to expand your, your building to be able to accommodate more dogs? Well, it was always, you know, I had X amount of dogs here. I have X amount of dogs waiting to come here. And it got to where I had, this isn't exact numbers, but let's say I had 10 dogs here and I had 20 dogs waiting to come. And, you know, I, I had to find that magic number for me that says, okay, I can handle this many dogs and, this many dogs can be waiting to come here. And it's typically between four and six dogs at a time that are waiting to come to me. Right now I have four dogs on call waiting when I have room for them, they're coming. And I have 18 dogs here at the house, of course, six are my own. So I've got 12 other kennels there that are open that I have dogs in right now that are in training. And I don't think I want to expand beyond that quite yet. I think I could probably do maybe an extra boarding kennel, but that's about it. 20 dogs 
that's max for me. I mean, that's a lot of dogs to take care of every day, run every day. But I also hate seeing dogs, A, get euthanized because someone doesn't understand what they need or B, get passed on like timber from home to home to home. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to accommodate the need um, while also not getting over my head. And I think we're maxed out right now. And I think we're doing pretty good with the number we've got. We're able to accommodate and, and help the bird dog world out in a way that we need to. Now, do you have any dogs looking for homes right now? Or are they all spoken for? Every dog that I have right now is pretty much spoken for. Um, I think I have one wire hair that I don't even think anybody knows that I have them right now. Um, I just got him two weeks ago. Um, it's another story for another day, but he was on three different medications when I got him for anxiety. He was on depression meds. Um, he came with like six different pills. So I actually had to call of that and say, okay, this is what he's getting right now. I need to wean this dog off. I can't go cold. I can't do it cold turkey. Can I? And they're like, no, you need to, you know, so I had to take the pills to my vet and he had to look at them and give me a regimen basically for oh, the next wow. two weeks. This is what you give the dog. This is how you cut it back. And I've slow, it's, it's awesome. Cause I've watched that dog day to day become himself again. And he is a hyper crazy fun wire hair. And I didn't have that day one day one. I had a dog that stood there, looked at me like he was a zombie because he was all drugged up, you know, and I finally getting a good dog, but, uh, yeah, other than that, every dog I have has a home lined up. They're waiting on me to train them. You know, they I have people contact me, at least eight to 10 people contact me every day, asking me, how is Duke doing? How's Oliver doing? How's Odin doing? And I send all those people videos, pictures, and try to keep everybody updated. Um, typically, 30 days is what it takes for me, um, depending on the dog, of course. But I like to, within 30 days of getting the dog, have that dog in a new home and at least started. Um, there are times that I will rehome a dog and tell the person, bring him back next week. We're going to go to Haymarsh Hunt Club, which is right down the road from my house. We're going to go hunting out there and I'm going to, I'm going to work the dog and we're going to keep working with you. And I've met new owners quite a few times like that on occasion and, you know, no cost to them. I'll take care of it. Let's show up. Let's, let's finish some training up for the dog. Now, are you using any of those dogs in your guided hunt program? I mean, it sounds like you kind of get them involved in your Yes. You have yep. your own dogs, but do you try to get some experience or get some exposure to some of your uh, rescue dogs as well in that guided environment? Yes, exactly. Um, two of the dogs, two of the six dogs that I have are, are rescue dogs that will probably go to a new home eventually. Um, I like to keep two or three on my string and guide with them just to get a more finished out perfect dog. Um, and people like to see it too, right? You know, everybody, when I guide a hunt, people show up and they see second chance bird dogs. And the first question is, oh, what is that? So I give them the quick story and I tell them, yeah, I got this dog a month ago and he's hunting birds and they're all amazed and people love it. You know, they love the idea of it and they love watching the dog and the amazement in, in their eyes when they know the dog's only been doing it for a month, you know? Have you found any new homes that way for any, any clients? Have yes. Um, client hunts? Another warm and fuzzy story. Um, a year ago, last week, I guided a gentleman at a club up north. And he at the end of the hunt, he looked at me and said, if you ever get a Griffon, I want you to call me and let me know. And I said, well, I don't have a Griffon. But I said, I do have a wire hair. I showed him a picture. And a month later, he came and picked up that dog. That dog's name was Sherlock. 
I showed up at the same club last weekend and the manager came up to me and said, sorry, Mike, you didn't need to bring your dogs. They got their own dog. And I said, Oh, okay, that's fine. You know, my dogs can sit in the kennel. It's nothing new to them. And I walked out the door and there stands Sherlock with his owner. And I, I yelled Sherlock and he kind of turned around, looked at me and started wagging his tail. And I actually got to go out hunting, you know, his owner handed me his garment said, here, you know how to work them. I'm going to shoot the gun. You, you do that part, you know? So I got to go out a year later and guide with a dog I had trained a year ago, Very um, cool. which is, that was, that was awesome for me. Now, what, uh, what's your hunting like your wild bird hunting? What kind of, what do you do up there? What do you like to do and how do you incorporate some of your dogs into that? I love grouse hunting. Love, love, love grouse hunting. Love, I love woodcock hunting um, and grouse hunting. Wild, wild pheasant hunting. We don't have a lot of it here in Michigan. Um, they just started the pheasant release initiative this year, so we've been doing some of that. Um, I do have wild birds at my around my property, in my house, so I'll hunt them every year. But grouse hunting is a big passion of mine. I haven't the last two years running the rescue. Haven't had a ton of time to do it. Um, but this year I've really made some time to get up there on weekends. And, um, as you guys probably know, every dog can be a, you know, a pheasant or preserved bird dog, but not every dog can be a grouse dog. And it takes a special dog to do that. So I'm not going to say every one of my rescues can be a grouse dog, but I have taken them out before and introduced them to wild birds and, and shown them that, that side of life. And, you know, really quick if they're going to make a good grouse dog or not. Um, but again, we talked about the fun aspect. It is fun for me to watch a dog that I got a month ago that had no clue what life was about and watching that dog run in the woods, wagging his tail, pointing woodcock or grouse. That is, that's the, that's the icing on the cake. Whether you get the bird or not, that's a win for me. You know, uh, a little bit ago we talked, you said you had, you know, a bunch of people in line to get their dog trained. Do you do anything before they bring their dog? Do you have like a small regimen you want these people to do before they bring the dog to you? You know, especially if it's like a rescue, they get somewhere. Do you have something that you have them do at home while you're, they're waiting to get in into the kennel to get training? I'm fortunate enough that most of my clientele are people who have had previous bird dogs. Um, the bread and butter of my clients is the 50 to 60 year old gentlemen that don't want a puppy. It's too much for them. They don't want their chew, their shoes chewed up. They don't want to potty train. They've had bird dogs their whole life. So I'm fortunate in that aspect where most of these guys getting bird dogs from me know how to handle a bird dog. Um, if there is that case, and there has been quite a few times where it's their first bird dog. Um, yeah, I'll give them a list of things to get. And, you know, I'll call collar clinic in Traverse city and line up an e-collar for them and other things that they need. And I'll give them a checklist, make sure you have this, this, and this. And those are the people I really like to get involved in the training. So they'll come to the house a couple of times and they'll run with the dog with me and, you know, well, what's he doing there? Why is he doing this? And I can really explain things to them and I might meet him up later for another hunt outside of, of my house. But yeah, I, I like to get the new people involved as much as possible. I have a list of questions I ask people um, when they want a dog from me that really kind of gives me a good idea where they set as far as do they know how to handle this dog or have they had this dog before? Um, so I, I have a very strict vetting process. I like to think that it's hard to get a dog from me. I have a, I've made a lot of people mad in the past because they haven't got a dog from me. And it, it's, it makes me kind of sad thinking I, I declined somebody from getting a dog, but it also makes me think, okay, yeah, you're doing things right because not everybody can be approved. 
you know, it's, it's the ugly truth. You know that you just got rid of a bunch of puppies. So um, the vetting process is stressful and it takes a lot of time, but you have to make sure it's done right because you now they're here for a reason and I don't want that to happen again. Yeah. It's difficult. It's, it's hard to say no, but when you're, when you're vetting them kind of people and you get, of course, Facebook, you get a million messages. Yeah. You know, you can almost tell by the first couple questions that they ask that these yeah. people have no idea what they're getting into, you know, and yep. you want to make sure them puppies are put in and, or an adult dog are put in the home where they're going to, they're going to be happy. They're going to have fun, but they're also going to be used for what, what we brought them on this earth to be used for, Correct. Uh, you know, as far as, when you have pups or get an older dog, do you have them spayed and neutered before you send them back out? So, you know, if there is a case, they don't get just sent in to somebody that, oh, I can, I can have puppies and sell all these puppies and, you know, maybe he'll get them back and then he'll train them and then we can buy them again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that thing, do, you, do you do anything like that? What a rescue would do? Yeah. Most of my dogs I get are already spayed and neutered. I would say nine times out of 10, they are. Um, again, they're from non-hunting homes. Most of those homes are people that strongly believe in spay and neuter. Um, there's been some instances where I think I got dogs that were neutered probably too soon, right? I had a draw tire that was neutered at four months old. And that was a little early, but it, a lot of times I get dogs, most of the time that are spayed and neutered. I think I have maybe two dogs out of the 12 in my kennel right now that are still intact. Um, it, in 30 days to train a dog, it's hard to get that spay and neuter done and still stay on track. So I'll, that's when I go to look for a home, that's when I'm gonna look for somebody I can trust, right? And I make them sign a no breeding contract. I make them sign a contract saying within six months, the dog gets spayed or neutered. And if they do so, they usually get a, a deposit back from me, um, X amount of money back when they do that spay or neuter. Um, fingers crossed. I've had no issues. Everybody's complied and we've done good so far, but I think that go, a lot of that goes into, um, the vetting process and finding people that, that care about the process too. And that's a good thing to do because too many people are breeding just because, Hey, my dog just flushed that pheasant. My dog picked <laughs> it up. Let's breed them. We'll yeah. have bird dogs, you know, we'll yeah. complete bird yeah. dogs and it's irresponsibility. And, uh, I just think it's, it's a great that you, that you make sure that all that stuff is taken care of before, before they get sent So out. on that, so on your vetting process, Mike, what do you think are the two most important areas or questions that you want to ask? I mean, when somebody calls you about a, a dog that you have available, what, what are, what do you think there are the two most important things for you to find out about people? Um, I want to say, do you hunt, but let's not include that in there. Um, I think that's kind of a given. Um, my biggest thing is how much time do you have with that dog per day? And do you have the necessary funds um, to take care of this dog? And with those two questions there, you can weed out a lot. You know, I want to make sure that that person has the funds and, and the whereabouts to take care of the dog and to feed the dog, to take the dog to the vet regularly, make sure the dog's healthy um, and time, you know, this dog's with me because I get a lot of dogs because the owner didn't have time for him. So I want to make sure that, yeah, everybody has to work an eight, 10 hour job a day. I get that. But when you get home, what are you doing with that dog? 
You know, is he is he running outside? Is he getting your time, or is he just sitting in the crate all day and and doing nothing? Um, another question I would put in there. I I have three to four questions that really are a deal breaker for me, and a lot of time is kids. Um, I, I want to know. I'm not against having kids, but I want to know how old your kids are because you getting a two-year-old dog from me that hasn't bonded with those kids, that's a big factor for me. And I want to make sure that no kids are getting hurt. Um, you know, I don't want a two-year-old kid walking up to a dog that just walked in the house and there's a bone on the floor and he goes to grab the bone and the dog doesn't know the kid and the dog bites the kid, right? I, so kids are one of my biggest questions, my biggest concerns um, is kids and uh, the funds, um, the means to take care of the dog and the time. And then do you continue, like, when you place that dog, is there a continuing di dialogue between you and that owner? And, and I mean, are you checking on the dog's progress? And I'm sure answering any questions that that new owner has. There, I'm sure there was a period of time there where you're, you're keeping track pretty closely oh, yeah. of what that dog's, how that dog's doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've rehomed over 120 dogs now, so I couldn't keep track of all of them if I wanted to. But when I rehome a dog, I typically, I'll wait five days. And if I don't hear anything from that person in five days, that's good. And usually if I hear something from that person that night, it's either good or it's, we got a problem. So I'll wait a few days and I'll reach out, hey, how's it going? And then I'll get the thumbs up and the pictures. Oh, it's going great. We love this dog. And and I'll try to keep track, keep on track with that person for the next month or two. And then the messages typically start fading away and, you know, I'll hear from them every now and then, but, you know, I've got so many dogs out there that I wish I could remember all of them, but I don't. And I kick myself all the time because I wish I would have started a list when I started this of every dog I had, what their name was and where they went to. Um, but I didn't. And it was, I was just starting out, had no idea it was going to get this big, but you know, we started that list this year because I want to make sure I, I know where those dogs are and, and who's got them. Would it be fair to say you have dogs all over the country now, probably? Yes. Okay. I, I would, yeah, I have dogs in Texas, California, Wyoming, Nebraska, South and North Dakota, um, Pennsylvania, New York, Maryland, Vermont, um, Washington. I've got, I just rehomed one to Florida last week. Yeah, they're, they're all over. Now, and I know, um, you mentioned earlier that you kind of made this a full-time job. Uh, you were working another uh, in another occupation and kind of doing this in the evenings. And then it just grew to the point where you had to make a commitment. This is what I'm going to do. Uh, what was Correct. that like try, making that decision? I, I honestly, I think it was more the wife than it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Cause she kind of drew the line in the sand and said, okay, you're going to do this or you're going to do this which one's it going to be, you know, cause you can only work uh, three years of working seven days a week, nonstop, you know, it was wearing on me too health wise. And I really had to make that decision. And that's when I put the board and train kennel up and started lining up some board and trains from people. And, you know, we finally decided we actually had a baby about 12 weeks ago. Um, so I took six weeks off for the baby and that was my trial run for quitting my job. And I told the wife, I said, if we can make it those six weeks, um, we're going to do this. And, and after those six weeks were up, we made the decision that we might never be millionaires, but we'll be happy and we'll, we'll be uh, training dogs every day. So that's what we're doing. And you haven't looked back since. 
I haven't looked back since. I actually think I'm busier now than when I actually worked a full-time <laughs> job plus did this. Yeah, you got to get that hunting time in too. Yeah, that's the big part of it. Yeah, and, and the guiding time I, and honey time. Like, you yes, kind of, you can get them mixed. Now up. the guide thing that you're doing, uh, you you, uh-huh. met, yeah, and you you why don't you give a plug to the to the uh, preserves that you're working for? That's kind of what we're all about. Where, yeah, where you work yeah. now as a guide up there in Michigan. Yeah, so I work at Haymarsh Hunt Club. Um, okay. That's in Morley, Michigan. Um, I guide there. And I've guided there twice this week. And then uh, they're more of a, I would say, blue-collar hunt club. Um, most of the time, it's guys with their own dogs going there. A lot of CRP. Just about as close to the real deal as you can get at Haymarsh Hunt Club. If you want to hunt birds and you want to feel like you're really hunting, go to Haymarsh. Um, it's a really good, realistic club. And the birds are good. They fly good. They flush good. Um, it's a good place. I think they've got around 800 acres. Um, all the fields are about 40 acres. Um, really good place to hunt. And that's where I started. I mean, I shot my first pheasant there when I was 12 years old. So I've been a member there for a long time. Now, and years, then the other years ago, the, the wild bird, the wild pheasants, that was pretty, uh, pretty big in Michigan back in the day. Right. I mean, I know that yeah. the numbers aren't there now, but there was a time when wild bird hunting in Michigan was, was pretty big stuff, correct? Correct. Yeah. When I was 16 years old, um, we used to walk down the ditch lines just down the road from my house and we used to find pheasants. Um, we even found grouse on our 10 acres when I was 16 in high school, you know, um, quite a bit of pheasants. And there's, there still is a lot of pheasants around. Um, you've just got to cover a lot more ground than say, you know, you go to South Dakota and, it's the number of flushes you have per hour. You might work all day here and find one bird, but you go to South Dakota and you'll find, you know, a hundred birds in one day. Um, but I just, I mean, I was just coming home yesterday and a rooster pheasant crossed my drive a mile long driveway. And there's a cornfield on one side, beans on the other. And he ran from the corn into the beans right in front of me. So they're here. Um, they're just not as easy to find. So you talked about a pheasant release program they have up there. So do they, does the, Michigan DNR just have like stocking days and then you can go hunt public ground or explain that a little bit. Yeah. So Michigan this year has, uh, don't quote me on this, but it's, it's seven or eight different sites in Michigan, specific areas where they're releasing pheasants. Um, the DNR goes out twice a week, releases pheasants in these specific fields. And then, uh, with a $25 Michigan resident tag, you can go hunt these pheasants. Um, and it's been successful, especially, uh, a lot of places in Michigan, very successful. And they've seen a lot of people come out. Um, it's good for the sport. It's good to get new people out. Um, I wish there was a lot of younger people. I wish there was more younger people doing this. And I think with this program, you'll see a lot more younger people get into it. Um, I'm really big on the youth getting out hunting. I'm actually guiding a club in Southern Michigan this Saturday for Pheasants Forever Youth Hunt. Um, and I volunteer for as many of them as I can, cause I love getting kids out hunting. That is the biggest, that's, that's going to save our sport someday. That's you know, a lot of them, for sure. Yeah. It's the, it's the lifeline. Yeah. If we get these kids doing it, then maybe their dads will want to do it and you know, it, it keeps things going. So I love seeing kids out hunting. That is, it's the best thing for our sport is to get the younger folks out, out hunting. Yeah. And if you don't, it's the, the sport dies and. Yeah. You see it a lot. And, uh, you know, when hunting got hard in Iowa, you know, 
we I just had our my uh, chapters youth hunt last week, and when I started twenty years ago, we had fifty three kids, and I s- luckily scratched up twelve, and 10, 10 showed up. So wow. I can really see, you know, and our birds kind of died to nothing until now they're coming back. So now I'm I'm seeing a little more, and and it's a good thing, you know, to see getting kids out and and. And I thank you just for my, me personally for you for taking that time to make sure you're getting a kid out hunting. Because yeah. if it don't, we you know, it won't be second chance gun dogs anymore. If you don't have people hunting, it's going to be <laughs> yeah. just second chance dogs, and you don't want that. So yeah, the, yeah. Uh, and just to kind of wrap up uh, our discussion tonight, what's what's the main thing or the takeaway you'd like people to know about uh, your operation up there, Mike? What, what, what do you think the best message is to tell everybody that's listening what you need, what what you're all about? I mean, is there something in particular that you want to make sure people know about? Uh, I, I think I think the biggest thing is just to follow, follow Second Chance Bird Dogs on Facebook. Um, you know, when I need something, I post it on there. And I think I just checked today, it was 23,000 people in the Facebook group. Um, I don't know why I started a Facebook group for it versus a page, but I tried starting a page a while ago and it, it didn't go anywhere. So I just kept the group up. Um, I think people like it cause they can interact. They can see what's going on. Um, and the more people that we get, you know, the more sponsors we get, you know, we get, you get over 20,000 members of the group and Hey, I get an email from Garmin, you know, from some random guy, or I get an email from this and they're starting to look into it. So that support alone is a big part of second chance bird dogs. And I call them my army. You know, anytime I need anything, I put a Facebook post up and within five minutes, I'll have it. I remember one time I needed, I think I needed two Karunda beds for the kennel. And I was like, Hey everybody, I need two beds. If anybody would like to donate any, I had 12 beds show up the next day. Right. So the, the people like what I'm doing, um, go to the Facebook page, group page, join it. If I need something, you'll know because I'll put it up there. That's the biggest way to support me is just to keep that going. Um, keep it popular, keep the post out there um, and just support us, you know, uh, whether it be financially or, or just physically through the Facebook share in the post, just keep us out there and the dogs need it. The dogs need homes. If you're looking for a dog, um, you know, if you want a puppy, you know, you want a puppy and I'm not going to steer you away from that. But if you're looking for a starter bird dog, maybe you've got a 13, 14 year old kid and you guys want to start hunting and you don't really know how to train a dog. Look at second chance bird dogs. Cause I've got, you know, I, like I said, most of my dogs are taken right now, but I get a lot of good dogs. And I think the rescue thing kind of scares some people away, but a lot of the dogs I get nine times out of 10 are really good dogs and they turn out to be really good bird dogs and they're going to be good family dogs too. Um, don't steer away from it. Um, I put up a post a while ago telling people that if you got a rescue dog from a shelter and you wanted it trained, I would train it at half price for you. Cause I just, I believe in it that much. I mean, there's dogs out there that need homes and that can make good bird dogs. Um, so yeah, follow the group page, keep sharing our stuff. We have a YouTube channel too, Instagram, um, you know, liking and sharing and supporting the Facebook page is the, does the biggest thing for us and anything. And then if I need something, you'll know, cause I'll put it on there. So you obviously love bird dogs. What is, we always end up in the show with what is your favorite bird dog story? Uh, favorite bird dog story. Uh, it, it was, it was timber. 
Um, I'll try to make a long story short. Um, when I got Timber, like I said, he had six different owners. I must have put that dog on 100 birds. And my training, I won't go into it too elaborately, but it's all natural. I like to have fun, make sure the dog does it naturally. I feel like you get a lot better bird dog that way. So I'm putting him on birds, putting him on birds, putting him on birds, and he's just flushing, flushing, flushing. It was a Sunday morning, about 40 degrees out. It was raining. It was cold. On my way there, I almost turned around because I'm thinking I'm just going to see him flush birds. He's not going to point. I get there, drop the tailgate, put the collar on timber. He goes running away. And at this time, I was just running a cheap collar with a bell on it. And I'm sitting there loading my shotgun, and I don't hear the bell anymore. And I'm thinking, oh, he's 600 yards away. I turn around and there he is, 50 yards away, paw up, straight out. I'm thinking, what's he doing? You know, walk over to him. I get about 10 feet away and I realize he's pointing. This dog isn't pointing, he's pointing. And I walk up beside him and I, you know, I always, I, I love to touch the dog and just let the dog know you're doing it right. And, you know, from his head down to his tail, I just say, whoa, I'm a good boy, you know. And I took another step forward and this big old rooster flies up and I shoot it. He runs over to it, grabs it, brings it back, drops it at my feet. And if you were anywhere within probably a five mile radius, you probably heard me screaming. I mean, I picked, I remember picking him up and doing circles in the field and just screaming, hollering, so happy. And we went out, I think I bought three birds that day and we went out across the field and he pointed three birds I put him in the bag and here comes the owner of the club. And he's like, sorry, Mike, I didn't get out here in time. I didn't put your birds out yet. And I looked at him and smiled. I said, well, we already found three birds. He goes, oh, well, those birds are scratch birds. They've been out here a while. And that just made my day. That to this day will be probably one of my favorite stories of, of the bird dogs I've had. And that's what keeps your passion going, obviously. Oh, yeah. You know, yep. they all have it in them. You just got to gotta push them. You got to do it yep. the right way. Let, it, let nature take its course because – you know, like you said, he flushed, 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 and then boom, the light bulb, everything clicked right. The light bulb went on, and sometimes that's all they need. The minute that light bulb turns on and they figure it out, yep. you never have to do anything else. They're just, yeah, I'm a bird dog now, and he figured yeah. it out. So great story, great uh, uh, commend you for exactly everything you're doing. And, uh, you know, if you guys want to check out all of Mike's stuff, just – We'll have the links posted here uh, and check out his Facebook group, his Instagram. He says, everybody's welcome to join in and, and really care, you know, take care of what, you know, watch what he's doing. And yeah, if you're in Michigan, stop in and see him and go out and go out in the field and hunt with him in a couple, if you, if you get a chance. But uh, Mike, we appreciate your time tonight. We appreciate you coming on and sharing, uh, sharing your stories with us. And hopefully some people have, will hear about you that haven't heard about you before. Um, I'm not trying to push more dogs your way because but if there is, if there is a if there is that certain dog in need out there, I think Mike would make a great place to, for that dog to if that dog's lucky, that dog will end up in your hands and yeah, you'll you know make a make a great opportunity for him. So we do appreciate your time, my friend. I appreciate you guys having me on. All right. We'll keep and, in touch. Uh, we will uh, continue to follow your stuff if you want to Join his group uh, for Second uh, Chance Bird Dogs. Uh, I would encourage you to do that. Tonight's episode is brought to uh, to you by Highland Hunting. We talked a little bit about preserves, and that is a preserve where both uh, Thomas and I do some guiding and have for a few years. And so 
they have been uh, gracious in uh, their sponsorship. If you are a new sponsor or you're interested in getting involved in the podcast, check us out. Give us a call. We'd like to talk to you about uh, becoming on as a new sponsor. Um, subscribe to our channels, to our, uh, um, you know, how all that stuff, how it all works. Oh, well, we, you know, all our Instagram. Uh, Wade and yeah. has his own Instagram as, as Sweet Point Setters. I have a big Marsh Kennels page as well. Our YouTube page, Setter Tales Podcast. We have a Facebook, Spotify, Apple Music, all that. It's free to subscribe. Uh, our YouTube, go on there. You can hit subscribe, and there's a little bell on there. Flick that. So anytime hey. we're live or a video comes up, it's going to give you a notification. But you know what? You know what this weekend is? Opening. That's weekend true. of pheasant season that's true and there's another story about that we'll talk about it next <laughs> time but but uh you know and if you get a chance oh, we don't have the puppies here puppies anymore. are are sleeping puppies are hopefully. sleeping they won't be sleeping on the way home no but, that'll uh, be a know, rough drive home uh, thanks for tuning in and if you get a chance take somebody hunting keep their nose in the wind <laughs>